if I'm killing it with what I'm doing and I don't offer this opportunity to my friends and family and the people I care about, what does that say about me? Yeah, interesting. Like anybody who is doing something and having great success, but you're not willing to share that with other people, it's kind of selfish. And I get it. You don't want people to risk it or whatever, but that's on them. But there are people who, listen, man, if you got a way of winning anything, if you got a golf swing and you're doing something great with your golf swing, like you telling me you added 40 yards to your swing, your drive, you know, you're hitting them straight now, you've shaved, you know, three, three strokes off of your game. Dude, if you don't tell me what you're doing, yeah. I'm mad at you, yeah. right? If I see, if offer. we play golf yeah. and then six months later, you were out here looking like the reincarnation of young tiger. I'm yeah. like, wait a minute, wait, wait, Drew, what happened? Yeah. Like, feet, tell yeah, me, Yeah, at least share. offer this, right? So I think that's part, part of that, right? It's like, if you've got something that's working, how do you share that with other people? I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Rise and Invest podcast. I bought my first two properties as a 19 year old with my own money that I earned from an online business I started in high school. I've now grown my portfolio from that first duplex to hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. My goal with this show is to give you the resource I wanted when I first started out. Subscribe to our podcast where I break down real life stories, tactics, strategies, and current market information you need to be a successful investor. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Rise and Invest podcast. Today's guest is John Kasman, founder of Kasman Capital. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Drew. Great. Yeah, excited to have John on. I mean, he spends all his time basically uh, helping busy professionals get into multifamily real estate deals. So uh, happy to pick your brain today. Yeah, man. Excited to talk to you. Yeah, I think we probably met like 10 years ago, give or take. Uh, I know time goes by quick now. It's funny. <laughs> Man, <laughs> it's wild. I'm, I'm doing yeah. the math like, yeah, probably somewhere between eight and 10 years ago. Yeah, because yeah. we, I think 33 Realty introduced yep. us. Yep. Yep. And then uh, shortly thereafter, you moved to Cincinnati, I think. Mm. from. Well, I was here for eight years and then moved to Cincy in 2019. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah then probably what hasn't been 10 years, but pretty close though. Yeah, yeah. Then uh, Nice. Yeah, so yeah, excited where John has a really great background where he... Uh, you know, he knows a ton about marketing and I guess I'll should have you explain it, but where I'm excited to get into really like the marketing angle today yeah. and you know how you're able to quit your job. And then also John's got a podcast. So, it, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pick your brain on that too. So it's been a big, big motivator and inspiration seeing, seeing someone actually new yeah. in real life, have a podcast and then <laughs> start my own. Awesome, man. Where you tell me where you want me to start. Yeah. Let's just, how'd you end up getting, uh, getting going in real estate then? So, um, to really answer that, I got to give you a little bit of a, the story leading up to it, right? So uh, back in 2007, I was in, in uh, Detroit and I was working for GM and doing well, thriving, you know, marketing, advertising, doing big campaigns, big budgets, things like that. So I spent 15 years in corporate America doing marketing and advertising, and I really enjoyed it. And at that time, things were great. And then they weren't as great. You know, as you know, the time 2008 came around, the economy started to shift, the automotive industry in particular started to have some challenges. And we went through quite a round of layoffs, you know, multiple rounds of layoffs. I saw a lot of my peers lose their jobs. And there was one round where we were going to go into bankruptcy. We already knew that. And, you know, it was kind of like a, a Black Friday type situation where it was like, oh, I don't want to go into office, like it's going to be bad. And um, got there kind of late and there was a red or voicemail left for me. So there's red dot on my phone. 
and I check it. There was a message from um, the guy who used to sit uh, just in front of me and he had been let go earlier that day. And I listened to that message and um, I remember feeling very sad and empathetic for him in the situation he was going to go through. But I also realized that, you know, this this corporate dream is not guaranteed and it could be taken from you at any moment. And you have to find a way to insulate yourself from being let go from your job. And I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad years earlier, but I just I remember it just came back to me like a bolt of lightning. And I was like, real estate, you got to get into real estate like you're not going to come up with the next great, you know, tech app, you know, like you're not going to solve or cure cancer or something like that. So, like, if you really want to make it and not solely rely on this job, you're going to have to invest in something that is sustainable, kind of secure, tried and true. And real estate was that for me. So I made the decision to invest in real estate at that time. Um, the challenge was this was Detroit. 2009 and everybody I knew who had real estate was trying to fire sell it and to get out of Dodge. So um, as I started that journey, I was like, maybe this is not the best place or time to invest. Uh, and I ultimately moved to Chicago in 2011. And one of the main things I want to do was start investing right away. So um, my wife and I kind of spent the first year just really learning the lay of the land, what neighborhoods we want to be in. Um, as we're recording this, we're in West Loop. West Loop is where I wanted to live and invest. Uh, the prices in West Loop had changed at that point. <laughs> so uh, we had decided, hey, let's go maybe a little further west. We went to a neighborhood called Tri-Taylor. And then um, we ended up buying our first uh, duplex. So it was two-unit property in North Center. Then we, we house hacked it, right? Which is a pretty simple strategy. You live in one unit, you rent out the other unit. And that's exactly how we got started. And then from <clears> there, the big thing for us was everything up to that point was just like books. And I don't even think I was listening to podcasts back then, but like, you know, meetups or people we were talking to, but it was all philosophy. You know, we, we weren't investing until we bought that two unit. And when we bought that two unit in 2012, um, we started to see the market take off. We had invested into the property to fix it up and we created more equity than I could have ever dreamed of. And we ended up um, creating over six figures of equity. And that to me was like the point where I'm like, oh, this is what we need to be doing. Like now I get it. You know, before I was like, let's, let's try it. Let's see what happens. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But that was like my proof point to say, okay, this is the legit way for us to build going forward. And, you know, I really started to invest from there and just kind of took off. Yeah. And the light bulb went off at that point. Yeah. How to do it. How would you compare, I guess, kind of what you learned reading uh, versus actually doing it on that first deal? The reading was very helpful, right? I mean, there, there's, it's always good to have some level of education, but I would say that no matter how much education practice you get, uh, until you do it, like it's, it's not real. And there's always something that's going to come up that you weren't prepared for, because it's just too hard to get into the minutia of every little detail of what could happen on a deal. Um, so I'm very happy that we took the time to educate ourselves. It made me more comfortable with the process, uh, particularly in a city like Chicago, where, you know, a, there's a lot of laws and ordinances that can make it difficult for a property owner. So happy for that. But yeah, I mean, you just have to get into it. You know, once you start, then you can learn how to adjust. And I think the most important thing for anyone looking to get into real estate 
is figuring out how to be resourceful. Where can you get the answers? Because you're not going to know everything. And you can read every book in the world. You're not going to read and understand everything that could happen. But if you can find the resources to solve any challenge that comes up, whether that is through, again, podcasts or people um, going to meetups and just building our network, that's going to be the, the best thing you can do. So when something pops up and you don't know what the solution is for that, go to your resources, get the answer, and then you can move forward. That's great. I've, I've noticed that with a lot of real successful people where they they've networked and they know, let's say maybe it's an attorney that would have the answer or a different lender than they're using or just knowing other investors and knowing where to go. Yeah. Cause that's something that I've, I've done too, where I've, you know, networked and usually these like things where you gotta be resourceful. I'm going kind of to a much more experienced investor and going, what have you ever ran into this? Or try to find an attorney who's just done so many deals where their answer is going to be, yeah, and here's how we handle that. Yeah. So nice. Well, great. So then your first two deals were in Chicago, the Tri-Taylor and North Center ones? Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, I mean, most of our early deals were here. So uh, Tri-Taylor, we, we rented that one. So that was not one we bought. We bought. Oh, okay, uh, right. we bought the two unit in North Center. And then we bought a three unit in Avondale. Um, so Avondale was a, an up and coming neighborhood at the time next to Logan Square. So Logan Square was hot. Avondale um, wasn't quite as well known at that time, but since then it's certainly um, gained in popularity. Uh, and then we bought an eight unit building in um, uh, Hermosa. So um, that eight unit building was very intentional because we wanted to get experience with commercial real estate. And at that point, a few things were going on. One, um, that was a pretty big investment for us. <laughs> so yeah, at this point, you're doing it with all your own money. Oh, everything we were doing was our own money. So we were saving, you know, working our W-2 jobs, saving everything we could and investing it back in real estate. And to rewind back, one of the reasons that two unit you know, was so important for us is, well, now we weren't paying rent. So we had the first floor resident who was paying the bulk of the mortgage. We had to pay a little bit, but they were paying the bulk of the mortgage. We had created enough equity to get a line of credit on this this equity now. We bought the three unit building. So we invested, you know, put almost 80 some thousand dollars down for that property. Um, and then we bought this eight unit, which we had to put over a hundred thousand dollars down for. So we're building up our equity in these properties, but I mean we literally have saved hundreds of thousands of dollars from our salaries. And we weren't, I mean, we're doing well in our jobs, but it's not like we were making a quarter million or more. I mean, we were just over six figures, each of us. So to save a hundred thousand annually to invest was a slow grind. And we had to step back and say, you know, part of the reason we wanted to do this was to be able to insulate ourselves in case one of us lost our job. And when you really think about what we've done, we are building equity, which is great. But we are not building the cash flow we need. You know, we're going to have to change our strategy if we really want to grow to hit our goals and objectives. So in order to do that, we realized that we needed to really bring on partners. I just couldn't rely on whatever I had in my bank account. We were finding deals. We were doing well. But. I was limited based on how much money I had saved for, you know, whatever time period when I was looking at a deal. Um, so I started to warm up to the idea of work with other investors. I was still a little, you know, lukewarm and um, apprehensive about it because I just felt like when it came to investing, 
you were supposed to invest what you had. Like I, I thought that was the rule, right. right? The rule is whatever you've earned and made is what you can invest and that's it, right? Um, and I really did look at it as an individualistic approach. And you would hear people talk about, you know, real estate being a team sport or investing as a team or group investing. And conceptually it made sense to me, but I did not want to be responsible for someone else's money. You know, when I was right, I felt good because I was taking a risk and I put that education to work, but I was backing it up and it felt good to do that. But if I was wrong, it was just my money at risk, right? And I also was humble enough to know that I didn't know every reason I was right. You know, right. like when you're winning, it's easy to feel like you're invincible and you got it and you know it. But when you lose, it forces you to look at what you did wrong and to learn from those mistakes. And we hadn't really hit any bumps in the road up to that point. Right, right. So I was still very cautious to say, yeah, it's working, but I don't know why it's working. And what, what if I miss this? You know, what if I mess up? What if something happens? So I was still pretty apprehensive to work with other people. And a couple of things changed that. One, um, I sat down with a friend of mine and she had grown her portfolio from three units to nine units to 90 units in a matter of two years. Wow. And I was floored by that level of growth. And I just had to ask her how she did it. And we sat, we talked, and she flat out told me, I started partnering with other investors. She said, people have been reaching out to me from California and other markets, and they've wanted to invest. And I was apprehensive myself, but I said, listen, as long as you know that you could lose everything and I wanna drive the deal, so I'll find the deal, I'll run it, I'll do everything. But if you wanna partner with me, then that's fine. I'll put money into, but we'll partner together if you just wanna do it that way. So she found, like these people were really reaching out to her to do that. So I said, wow, okay. I hadn't really thought of that as an option. And that makes a lot of sense. And then the other thing was, I said, well, you know what? Let me also figure out how do I solve this problem of not knowing what's working? I had a pretty good sense of what was working, why I was working, but I, I didn't know like, hey, here are the things that could change or that if you keep going with that strategy might, might be uh, an issue for you. So I hired a mentor. And for me, it just made sense. If I was going to work with other people, I needed to do everything possible to make sure I was fully prepped and I was ready to partner with other people. And a mentor became the next logical step for me. So the A unit building was intentional for me to get experience in commercial, to work with a third party management company, and to further position myself to start working with other investors. Yeah, great. Because then up to that point, you had the, I'd imagine the line of credit and the financing on the initial deals. It's all like a local bank. Yep. And then who'd you use on the eight unit? Yeah, the eight unit was, uh, who do we use? We used, a, and it was a local bank as well. Oh man, it's slipping my mind now. It's, they've got two two branches here and um, I cannot it's remember what it was. So many deals, hard to remember now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that's interesting because when you were saying that, that's when you're thinking, when you're saying get experience with a commercial deal, to me, what I'm thinking the most different is the financing, I'd say, where now if you wanted, you could, like Chase Bank is here and they have a really good program once you get over five units. Yep. And so does Fannie and Freddie. And so that, but yeah, it's a different different animal where right before, if it's one or two units, you know, you can you probably keep track of things like in a notebook almost. That's what I did actually is my first deals <laughs> was on literally on paper, the, the accounting. Um, and then I eventually started doing it in Excel. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, as you, so that's, that's interesting. Cause what was the biggest difference between, let's say, uh, the, the two unit and the eight unit, would you say? The biggest difference from, you know, residential two to four units to commercial five plus units, there were two things. Um, one is through the financing, like you said, the other is in expenses. So in the financing, the biggest thing for me was understanding what the lender was looking for. There's recourse and non-recourse. When you're in residential, everything's recourse, period. They're looking at you. They want to know how much money you make, how much money you got saved. And that's pretty much what they're going to use to decide whether or not you get the loan. When you're in the commercial space and you're five plus units, they're looking at you, but they're also looking at the property pretty heavily. They're seeing what's the revenue is generating. You know, what's the net operating income? They want to know how this property is performing. So they're underwriting the property, but then they're also looking at you. And then if you get a recourse loan, what that means is you are personally responsible for this property. If this thing, you know, doesn't pin out, doesn't pencil, you're not making any money for whatever reason, you are going to have to either pay for it or it's going to be a big hit on your um, your credit. With a non-recourse loan, you don't have to um, take all that responsibility. They still want you to perform and do well, and there's some carve-outs in case you would deliberately do something wrong or misleading. But if, if it's not your fault that the property just stops performing as well, the, pro the bank will take the property back without really hitting your credit too hard. So it's um, a different ball game in that sense because the lender is basically saying, hey, with these non-recourse properties, they've got so much value. I don't care if you suck at what you're doing. I'll just take it back and then go get it to somebody else and I'll still make my money. So that's really interesting just conceptually to think about and what that process is like. And then the lender terms are, are huge, you know, because again, residential, pretty much getting a 30 year, you know, fixed rate loan for the most part is what you're going to find and, and get in, in most lenders, right? It's going to be the same thing, whatever the current interest rate is, you get the interest rate, 30 year fixed terms. And that's that. With commercial, the options are pretty broad, you can get a, you know, a, a bridge loan, which could be anywhere between one year, two, three, five-year loans. You can get a, a five, a 10, a seven. The fixed period is could be shorter. Uh, it can be amortized over 15, 20, 25, or 30 years. Um, every line item in there you know, is adjustable. The prepayment penalties, there's so many different factors that you've got to keep in mind on a commercial loan. So the financing and the terms are very different in comparison to a residential. The other thing is the expenses, particularly here um, in Chicago, because when you have a two to four unit in Chicago, um, things like um, trash, that's included in your taxes. So you pay for that, it's already done. When you get a five plus unit here, you have to outsource trash to another company. So you've got to go get a contract from, you know, one of these firms to come out and do your, your waste and trash removal. So little things like that may be different. The other thing is property taxes. Um, property taxes pretty much get adjusted everywhere, but if you buy a larger property, that property tax bill may shift greater than on a residential, particularly if it's not owner occupied. So little things like that, you definitely want to pay attention to because they could have a pretty big impact on your bottom line. Yeah. And the next buyer is definitely only looking at what's my net operating income on a commercial deal. They're not thinking, Hey, this got like a nice owner's unit and then I'll this kind of, yeah. this works for me cause I want to live in it. And yeah. then they kind of push their numbers yeah. cause I could, that definitely like, especially if that two unit you bought and lived in was nice, that that could be your next buyer. 
Whereas on the eight unit, that's just an investor. That's a spot on. So that, that's, and that's, that's critical for someone to understand is like, when you go five plus units, you are only dealing with other investors. Well, every investor wants a deal, right? right. There's not investors like, I can't wait to overpay for this next property, right? Yeah. Everybody wants a deal. So that's the mindset you have to understand is that when you go there, you know, the margin for error shrinks a little bit. You have to understand what you're looking for, how you're going to create value, what's your business plan, how do you protect yourself? And if you can do that, you could be successful. But before you make that transition, or if you're debating between two to four units, five plus units, something to keep in mind. The flip of that is true too, though. You know, on the flip side of that, um, residential properties are valued based on, you know, what the neighbor is selling his property for. And commercial properties are typically valued based on their performance, right? So if you can increase the value, increase the rents or increase the net operating income, you can create more value and force appreciation on these commercial five plus units. Whereas even if you did do some of those things, a lot of lenders in a two to four unit space are still going to look at what the other two to four units are right. selling and value based on that. So you know the fact that you've increased your NOI on a three unit, it may feel like you're doing everything right, but those lenders are not necessarily gonna give you the credit because your NOI is 20% higher than it dues down the street. Right, and then they're gonna need an appraisal and then yep. what, you know, and the appraisal are still using, you know, exactly. comparables per foot, per unit, whatever. Yep. Nice. Well, yeah, that's, it's really great. I'm in retrospect on how you learned that lesson really early on, just to jump back to that, uh, you know, back in Detroit, cause that's, <laughs> that's something that I, I learned only in a book hearing, you know, people talk about like a job feels so secure, but really you just have one income that could be turned off like at a, you know, snap of fingers one day and you don't, most people never realize that. And you learned it right away with the, the guy sitting across from you. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's huge. That got, I mean, that's a really, I'm sure in retrospect that got you, you know, going on this path. And then, um, I guess just to bring it up to what you were talking about, how did you make the jump then to either convince yourself or what you need? You'd got the mentor and then that helped you with a, the skills and then like a mindset shift to be able to take capital on or how'd you, how'd you start that? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the biggest thing for me was, um, when I brought on the mentor, the thinking was, okay, I want to start working with other investors. And in my head, I still wanted to stay relatively small. You know, I bought an eight unit building as that commercial property. So I was like, well, maybe I'll get a 12 unit, right? Or maybe I'll, maybe I'll push it and get a 20 unit, right? Um, but that was the thinking. And the logic was, well, if I do that, maybe I can partner with other people to bring about half of that money, right? So it can save me a little bit of time. And what ended up happening is, you know, I went through that program, learned a lot about deal structures and how the, this, how these things work and all the different ways to approach these deals, how to analyze deals. Because at that point, when you're analyzing deals for yourself, it's pretty straightforward. You know, it's like, what kind of return do you want? You want an 8% return? You want a 10% return? You want a 12% return? Is this deal going to give it to you or not? Right. And now right. that's all we were doing. It's like, okay, well, hey, I think rent should be here. I can do this, this, and this. Great. Let's buy this property. Well, when you get to the point where you're working with other investors and they're looking for an 8% return or 10% return or whatever that number is, now you've got to say, okay, well, how do I find a deal that can deliver the return they're looking for while still making enough profit for me to be worthwhile? And when you go through that exercise, it starts to open up your mind that, wow, a lot of the deals that could have worked for just me don't really work when you're splitting the proceeds with someone else. So now I have to push a little bit more about my comfort zone and, you know, what 
what kind of deals we want to take on. Do we want to take on deals that maybe have need more work? You know, a little more hairy deals where I've got to do more construction or do we change markets and locations where maybe we get better cash flow in some of these markets. Right. So we started to have to shift and push our business plan and our philosophy. And that absolutely made me more comfortable to work with other people because I felt like I was actually learning a lot more about how to evaluate deals and markets and opportunities. And uh, eventually what ended up happening is my mentor just grew his portfolio just crazy and in watching that like having a front row seat to watching someone build a multi-billion dollar portfolio you learn from them and you make adjustments to your plans and i i certainly had some limiting beliefs and kind of um some goals that probably were were smaller because that's that's what felt achievable and realistic to me and then you watch this guy go out and buy this property and that property and this property, and they're raising money for a lot of these deals, right? And when we would talk, I would ask, hey, well, how'd you do that? Or what's how are you coming across these people? And all of these different things. And you start to get more, more insights. And one of the big things that I took away is that it was possible. And I think before before you can do anything, you truly have to believe that you can be successful in that opportunity. And I go back to both my corporate career where, you know, I was one of the youngest advertising professionals. You know, I was an advertising manager at, at, you know, this big corporation. I was crushing my, you know, my W2 job, did amazing on those first couple of, you know, um, real estate deals. And again, not to say like I was perfect, but to say that we have to recognize where we have wins and take that confidence and build on it because it's easy just to look at, you know, oh, well, I've never done this before. or I've never done that before. I'm not good at this. But you have to look at what you are good at and what skills can you take? And when I step back and really put some context to it to say, I've been recognized by publications as one of the best marketers in the country. I've overseen $100 million advertising campaigns. My work has been on TV. Like, you can talk to a couple of investors and ask if they want to partner with you on deals that you're investing in as well. You know right, what I mean? Right. But you, but you have to, you have to step back and like give yourself like a pep talk. Like you got this, man. Like, what's the worst that's gonna happen? They say no. Right. You're no, I'm not same, interested. Yeah, you're in Are, the same spot then. You're right. in the same exact spot. So part of it is an ego thing, and we have to be able to step out of our comfort zone for that. And I'll I'll give you the thing that really helped me. When I realized it was not about me, right? Because before it was like, if I talk to you and I say, hey, Drew, hey, man, you know, I've been investing in real estate and I've got this deal I'm looking at, I'm looking to partner, you got some interest. If you said no, I would have took that as a personal assault on me. Interesting. Drew doesn't want to invest with me, right? Why doesn't Drew like me? Right. What is it about? You know, and maybe it's the deal. Maybe it's the market. Maybe you don't like real estate. Yeah, maybe don't they know. don't even have the money right now. I mean, it could be so Maybe you don't things. have the money. Yeah. And, and it's not like, oh, you hate me, but it's a, I didn't do something right. Maybe I didn't present this right. Maybe I didn't say the right thing. Maybe, but I put it on myself, right? And that's just, I, I'm a person who I believe in. You have a lot more control in situations than you give yourself credit for. So that's just kind of the way I'm wired. So if we were to have a conversation, you said no, then I'm going to go back and say, well, maybe I didn't present it the right way, or maybe I don't know what Drew is looking for. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's that. But the first thing is like, it's going to be a confidence killer, right? 
Because if you tell me no, well, how confident am I going to be to go to the next person? And they tell me no, and I get no five, six times in a row. By the seventh person, one, you look like you're begging, right? Now, you you know, your ego is shredded. So it's tough, right, to, to go that way. So, and that's most people's fear with raising money, right? No one wants to go out there and be told no and get rejected flat out. You don't want to get rejected. It's painful. It's not fun. You meet people who like love sales and they love getting doors slammed in their face. Yeah, all like those people, they got no problem with that. That's yeah. not me. Yeah. I'm a guy who I need, I need my celebration. You know, I need my data boys. You yeah. know, it's just, it's just one of my things. So <clears throat> one of the biggest things that helped me was realizing it wasn't about me. Take the ego, put it on the shelf. If you can help other people, if you can truly help other people, and you could present them with an opportunity, that's where the value is. Let's go back to that first deal. Now, I didn't know we were gonna do that, but if I, with pretty good confidence, knew, hey, there's a pretty big gap in the market, I'm, I'm confident that if we do X, Y, Z, we'll be able to create this value. Would you wanna partner with us if we do this? If they say no, that's fine. I'm still gonna go out there and do it, now I've made X, Y, Z for myself. And you have to look at it and say, damn, John just went out there and did this, gave me an opportunity to join him. And I said, no, that's on you now. The flip of that is if I'm killing it with what I'm doing and I don't offer this opportunity to my friends and family and the people I care about, what does that say about me? Yeah, interesting. Like anybody who is doing something and having great success, but you're not willing to share that with other people, it's kind of selfish. And I get it, you don't want people to, risk it or whatever but that's on them but there are people who listen man if you got a way of winning anything if you got a golf swing and you're doing something great with your golf swing like you telling me you added 40 yards to your swing your drive you know you're hitting them straight now you've shaved you know three three strokes off of your game dude if you don't tell me what you're doing yeah i'm mad at you yeah. right if i see if offer. we play golf yeah. and then six months later you were all here looking like the reincarnation of young tiger. I'm yeah. like, wait a minute, wait, wait, Drew, what happened? Yeah. Like, feet, tell yeah, me. Yeah, at least share. offer this, right? So I think that's part part of that, right? It's like, if you've got something that's working, how do you share that with other people? And that mentality really allowed me to grow. And it's not to even say, hey, come partner with me. It's just to say, hey, you should look at real estate. Figure out what strategy works for you. Right. If investing with me is an option, let's talk about it. But real estate is a powerful tool more than, you know, I think the stats are like 90% of the world's millionaires have a portion of their portfolio in real estate. It might be higher than that. Yeah, it'd be hard not to be a millionaire if you do this for long enough. <laughs> right. So, so. Uh, especially in a hot market like this. And when you start factoring in all the advantages that real estate has, you can understand why it's such an attractive investing vehicle. So for me, it really became, well, how do we share what we're doing um, in an authentic way? Here's where I'm at. Here's my knowledge. Here's my experience. Here's my team, you know, and here are the kind of deals we're looking at. And that's what we started to get a little more comfortable with. And then I also learned that most of the people I was talking to, um, they certainly did not invest the time and energy I've invested up to this point in real estate. You know, I've been reading books and going to meetups and all sorts of stuff before I bought the two unit. And then right. once I bought the two unit, I'm attending meetups every month, you know, and launch my own meetup. And now I, you know, ended up launching a podcast to help these people, right? So that's one of the things as well is like, well, if you're going to do this, you have to truly come from a place of service. 
you know, serving other people. Now, I know some people have, you know, rich uncles, whatever. Great. If you can make a phone call and you got a million dollars wired into your account, kudos to you. For people like me and most other people, they just don't have that. And quite frankly, even if you had that rich uncle, do you want to call that person, right? If you if you're not confident, you haven't built it up and right really done it right. So I think most people want to build up their confidence, build those connections with like-minded individuals, and then ultimately grow together. And you know, doing things like the podcast and the meetups certainly helped me do that. And did you? Would you say you even had many, let's say, friends or family members invest in the deals? Because one thing, just about myself, like with the, uh, I've. Like originally, I thought like I wouldn't, I won't have any investors. Like my parents are teachers; they don't know anybody who yeah. could invest. They couldn't invest, and that's how I thought. So I was doing my own deals. It was real similar to your situation, and then I started meeting like almost like parents, friends, or coworkers, uh, or I should say, my friends' parents or coworkers' parents. And now all of a sudden, these people are interested, and that was it. Just blew my mind because then you're. You know, I'm not sure if the same happened to you, so I'd be curious kind of who some of those initial investors were, because it might have been if you don't see a lot of people that you already know could invest, it's hard to make that leap in your head that there'll be people that you meet and then they, they want to do it. Yeah. Like that's that was a big shift for me. It was an absolutely difficult leap. And I go back to the mentor and why I believe in mentorship so much, because I think by myself, I would not have made that leap. Because in, in having my initial conversations, people were interested, but not ready. And I didn't really know how to delineate the difference between, you know, the kind of things they were saying that were indicating that, hey, maybe, but they need more information first, right? And the mentor in watching that person, it basically showed me that this works. You just have to do it. And literally i was like all right just do it let's just see what happens right and without that i don't know if i would have pulled the trigger i don't think i would have made that leap i think i probably would have said all right well, let's just try to do another two or three deals by ourselves and see what happens and you yeah. know maybe we'll grow it or maybe not but it um you know we we did and to your point on that first deal uh the first large deal we did was 192 units so that one we were general partners and met a group um, a guy down in Texas and had a great relationship with him. My wife, you know, was like, hey, we're going to have dinner with this guy. I'm like, what? So we sat down, had dinner and, um, you know, both liked him. And uh, when I launched my podcast, he was the second guest. Nice. My first guest was a guy I wanted to interview because I wanted to learn about the Cincinnati market. Uh, I knew I was going to be moving there and investing there. And he was my second guest. And, um, Shortly after the interview, we were, you know, done talking and I'm like, hey, so what's going on? How's everything? He's like, great, you know, working on a deal. And I'm like, well, listen, man, I've been looking for a deal for a while now, having a real hard time finding something. If you need help, I'd be happy to help you with some marketing, some investor relations. I got some other things I can do. And he's like, all right, sounds great, man. Well, we've got this one. If it comes, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, about maybe two weeks later, I reached back out to him and he said, hey, man, yeah, we got the deal, but we're all set on the team. Everything's good, but I'll keep you posted if you find something else. I'm like, all right, great. A week later, he calls me back and he says, hey, man, you uh, you still interested in helping? Oh, nice. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, what happened? Well, they were going with a private equity company, and that private equity company just just fell through. you know. And um, so he's like, yeah, we need some help. 
any help with marketing, any help with this. I'm like, all right, great. So we ended up partnering with them. And that was the first time I had a live deal. And I think that's really important because you can have all the conversations in the world with your friends and family and potential investors, but until you have a deal to put in front of them, you don't know really where they stand. And maybe you don't know what objections you should anticipate or questions you need to overcome, right? So that experience was very helpful. And I did, I had a couple of, um, one of my really good friends invested, had a family member invest, um, but everyone else who invested um, was someone that I met who just knew we were interested in real estate. Um, and they also had an interest in real estate. And that was just really eye-opening for me because I, I thought I had a lot of other people who would invest that I knew, who I knew had good paying jobs, corporate careers, all that kind of stuff, but they didn't invest, right? So like you, it's like, I certainly had the people who I knew didn't have the means to invest, that was expected. But there were people who absolutely had the money to invest who didn't invest, oh, and that was surprising. Um, yeah. And then I found like, okay, so then you start to step back and say, that's interesting that these five people said yes, but these 15 people said no. And did they say no, or did they say not now? Or did they say, I need to learn more about this? Or, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. it's, there's a whole process of starting to understand what people are actually communicating <laughs> when yeah. you're talking to them. And that, be, that becomes a whole other ordeal. That's very interesting. And I would imagine there's there's still two people you've you've known a long time and they just know you as like the regular John. Yep. Like, and this is like hard for them to make their own like, mental leap that you you have some good deals where you meet a new person that's looking for this and it's like a, a they they want to do it and there's not that sort of hang up that it's not your thing it's like it's their thing so i'm not sure if you ran into that but that's yeah no absolutely and that that's the thing is like it's it's um there are three things that have to be true for someone to invest in your real estate deal or really any opportunity right the first thing is they have to believe in the opportunity period. It's got to solve a problem that they face. If they don't believe in the opportunity as a concept, they're not partnering with you. They're not investing with you. They're not buying from you. So do they believe in real estate as a tool to help them with their financial goals? That's the very first thing they have to believe. So if the answer is yes, then they have to believe in you. You know, do I believe in you? Do I trust you? Do I believe you have the ability to find and bring a deal that can help me achieve the goals that I have? If the answer to that is yes, now it just comes down to that deal or that opportunity, right? Um, and that's true for whether it be real estate or any product, right? If I'm thirsty, well, you know, I've got this bottle of water, right? Well, all right, do I believe water is gonna cure my thirst? Yes, I do. Do I think this bottle of water is gonna work? Yes, I do. Am I gonna drink it? Yes, yeah, I will, trust it. right? Yeah. So that, it's a very simple process and we sometimes make these decisions quickly. Well, why did I kind of do that water? Because I've been drinking water my whole life. If you had hot tea, well, now I'm like, well, well, yes, it could quench my thirst, but it's hot, so I can't really gulp it. I've got, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's a whole, again, process that goes on. So when it comes back to real estate, it's gonna be much easier for people who already believe in real estate. Now, they may not know you, so that may be the hiccup, versus people who know you, well, they may not understand real estate. So some of them may be interested, but they don't understand how real estate works. For most people, they think real estate investing is being a landlord or flipper. Right. That's the only two strategies most people are aware of, is that I have this property and I have a, I have a tenant, 
who pays me rent and I'm a landlord and I don't want to be a landlord. So I don't want to do that. Right. Or I could buy an ugly house. I got to spend all this money to fix it up. I don't really like that. So I don't want to do that. So they're out because that's all they've seen or that's all they know about real estate. But you and I know there's multiple yeah. ways, dozens and dozens of ways to invest in real estate without being a landlord or a flipper. Right. So part of it is also the education process of, hey, here's some strategies to invest in real estate without picking up a hammer or being a landlord. Right. You could have disinvested in both of those kind of deals as just a passive investor. Exactly. Or it could have been a lender. You know, there's a lot of ways to go. Exactly. Nice. Well, then what's download our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook today at riseinvest.com slash downloads. Accredited investors can sign up for our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. Now back to the show. Some more stuff you've learned about raising money then. I'd be curious. You know, um, I'm, I was in marketing for 15 years. So uh, I think this part took longer than I'd like to admit, but it took a while for me to realize that this business, and I talk about apartment syndication, which is my primary business where I work with regular everyday professionals to invest in larger apartment deals. Well, this business is just like every other business. Every business has operations, HR, sales and marketing, finance, you know, and then some sort of product development, right? So in this case, if you want to grow, that growth typically comes from having a good product and then sales and marketing. So that marketing background really helped me when I put some of this stuff together to say, okay, who's our customer? Who's our client? Who is our, we call them an avatar, right? So who's the person we're trying to help? What do they look like? What questions do they have? What challenges do they face? Um, how do we help them? And by understanding that more, it became easier for us to communicate the solutions that they need. So many of our investors are professionals. Uh, most of them have a W-2 job. Some of them are very you know, high net worth, doctors, engineers, lawyers in those professional settings. Some of them you know, own a practice. Some of them are high paid directors and um, CFOs and CMOs at different corporations. Uh, some have you know, other industries altogether, IT uh, professionals. So all of them, not all, but many of them have a professional background where they've got a W-2 job that they enjoy. And even if they don't enjoy it, it pays the bills and yeah. they're not about to quit it, right? So they've got a W-2 job, but they recognize the need to diversify. Maybe they've got money in 401k, maybe they have a couple of stocks, maybe they threw a little bit of money in crypto, but they're getting a little uneasy about where the markets are in general. And real estate's a secured asset. They've always been interested in real estate, but they don't wanna be a landlord. They don't want to be a flipper, right? And maybe they have a couple rentals. Maybe they've invested in the past and just don't have the time to do it today. So by understanding who that person is, we can now better talk to that individual, let them know how working with us can help them, how they don't have to be a landlord, how they don't have to be a flipper, and really how they can grow their portfolio without having to do a whole lot of extra work in the real estate space of partnering with us. So then, you know, there are natural questions that they're going to have, right? They want to vet us. They want to know who we are, what kind of social proof do we have that we've actually have been able to do this for other people like them. So there's that process that, that goes into place. So it's really important to understand that and start to anticipate questions. Um, you know, before I came here, I was getting a text from uh, one of my investors and he's asking about distribution. So I'm like, I uh, sent the distributions, they were processed last week, but they don't show up for a few days. So I'm like, 
hey, you know, per my last email, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll probably get them. <clears throat> Um, this week. So if you don't get it by Friday, let me know. And then I'll, you know, I'll definitely, I'll keep monitoring it. But if you don't get it by Friday, then maybe something is wrong. But other than that, you should probably get over the next couple of days. So it's just, it's a process of trying to, you know, get in front of conversation. So I want to let them know up front, hey, here's when you can expect distributions. I might have to reiterate that. Hey, you know, as we talked about, you'll probably get them this week. And then, you know, following up, hey, we want to make sure you got your distribution. Everything's good. You're happy, right? So just customer service, you know, just following up people, talking to them, um realizing that for many people this is a scary venture right like people don't want to say it out loud but when you're talking about these investments i mean we're talking about fifty thousand dollars a hundred thousand dollars like we're talking about large sums of money for most people so there are questions that people have and sometimes they don't even want to say them out loud but you know it's like is this real Right. Or there's not sometimes a dashboard, a screen, like I give the money. I know I own these shares, but there's not like a yeah. thing to go. Can see I the see shares? the property? Can I like, you know, are you sure? Like, how, how do I know right. that I actually own this investment and this right. isn't some scheme or something? Right. So there are things like that, that, you know, you definitely want to make sure you can put people at ease and show them like, hey, here's how it works. Here's our attorney. Here's all the paperwork. Um, you know, here's our other investors. But a lot of this stuff is pretty transparent. You know, it has to be filed with the sec so it's it's all legit and there's you know no um i guess no issues from that standpoint because it's pretty transparent it's available it's out in the open you can go and look it up you can see all this data so it's there uh but again if this is your first time you may not know so it just takes a little bit to get comfortable with that process nice yeah that's that's interesting and then i guess uh yeah i mean i know you've used your marketing background so much what how is that how's that helped you like further with this would you say i think one of the biggest things for us is um always looking to grow our business and to grow any business you're going to need new clients or new customers right so for us it really comes down to uh attracting investors um on a continual basis so um when i talk to people about that i I put together like three c's to attract capital right so that first c is confidence um, if you don't believe in the opportunity, you don't believe in yourself and your abilities, how is somebody else going to believe? And I'm not talking about blind hubris, right? right? We're not talking about just you woke up today and I'm just a man. I'll make it happen. I'm talking about the confidence that comes from putting in the work. You know, even if you've never done a deal, you can listen to podcasts, you can read books, you can underwrite deals, you can attend meetups, you can put together sample deals. If you get a deal from a broker, underwrite it, put it together. At what point do you think the deal makes sense, right? You can go through those exercises until you feel confident in the work you're doing, right? So you've got to build that confidence. The other part of that confidence is who's validating this? Who is, you know, making sure the work you're doing, you're putting in the right work. You know, I think about it like going to the gym, right? You got to put in those hours and those reps. If you're playing a basketball game, you don't just show up game day having not practiced all season and expect to be great. You know, I mean, Kobe used to shoot 500 shots before the game, every game, you know, 500 shots before the game. One of the best basketball players of all time. And that's what it takes, right? So you got to be putting that work so you are confident when the time shows up. So confidence is the first seed. Second one's going to be credibility. Again, you may not have that experience, but what are some other things you could tap into? For me, it's my corporate experience, right? I mean, I've never bought a 192-unit apartment building before that, but I've overseen a $100 million advertising campaign. 
I've overseen seven agency partners. I have uh, overseen all sorts of television productions and radio productions and print productions and online ads. I've had to present to CMOs and CEOs of large corporations. I've had to do new business pitches, right? I've had to put myself out there in uncomfortable situations. I've had to done a, do a ton of research yeah. on you know who we're talking to and what are they looking for and sit down and do focus groups. So I took all of that and said, well, I've never done this here's what I have done. And I think this transfers really nicely into this world. And then on top of that, I am surrounding myself with people who have done this. You know, here's my property manager. Here's the experience they have. Here's my partner or the rest of my team. Here's my mentor, my coach, who's going to be looking over the, uh, my shoulder and make sure that everything is going well in this deal, right? Here's my contractor. So you can put together a great team that helps build your credibility. And then a third C is going to be your connections. So you got your confidence, you got a credibility, and then our connections. So connections are key because yes, you want to have those people who are ready to invest with you, but they may not be ready. And I think what's better and uh, a more appropriate approach is to continue to figure out how do you build connections? How do you leverage the network you have today to grow and expand? And I will go back to um, attending meetups for me. You know, attending meetups allowed me to meet that woman who went from three units to nine units to 90 units. From talking to her, that allowed me to meet, you know, the guy who became my mentor. From talking to him, that allowed me to meet the guys who became my initial partners, right? And from an investing standpoint, if you're looking to attract capital, you need to talk to people in your circle and see who else they can introduce you to. I think about it like um, if you're getting ready to open up a bakery, I wouldn't just call you and say, hey, Drew, I'm opening up a bakery. Can you buy five sheet cakes from me, man? You'll be like, dude, what? <laughs> what? Why yeah. am I, I don't need five sheet cakes. But I might say, hey, Drew, I'm opening up a bakery. Um, I'm looking to grow and expand. Do you know anybody who's having a large gathering, uh, particularly a wedding, uh, anniversary party, graduation party, anything like that that's coming up where there's going to be a large gathering? If you do, I would welcome an introduction. And in the meantime, you know, I can give you some samples and bring some to your office just so you get a sense of the quality, right? So that way you can feel better about me as a baker. And, you know, you can maybe say, oh, you know, what? My, my cousin's getting married this summer. You know, I know she's looked for someone. Why don't you reach out to her? And that's a way for you to grow your connections without necessarily forcing your friends and family to invest with you. So I think that strategy just works really well if you put the, the confidence, the credibility, and the connections together. Yeah. And we haven't had anybody on yet who's talked about meetups. So let's, and I've, that's something I, I haven't done personally, but I know you've done uh, you started your own. So how, how yeah, do meetups? I know how do meetups work. Let's let's hear uh, meetups one hundred and one real quick. Here's the thing that I love about meetups. I um, you may not get this, but I'm an introvert, and I only say this because I think people assume that um, only extroverted people can thrive in this space. You know, do the podcast with the camera and the mics and all that stuff. Um, it's not my natural zen. You know, I mean, I'm just I'm more of a kind of homebody type person and my wife is way more outgoing it's than so I funny because I am too and then I'll, I'll do some of these things and I feel I, I'm really pushing myself and I'm like I yeah. feel tired after. oh man listen I so you. I you know I, I just did an interview on uh, Thursday with a guy who's he's going to be doing a daily podcast and I'm like man kudos to you because I I could only do about three episodes three recordings a day and that's why I, I get tapped out yeah yeah like I'm drained at that point right and I know a guy who was doing seven, or a matter of fact, he was doing 15. Wait, in a day? In a day. And it, it had him lined up back to back to back. Shout out to Whitney. Um, 15 wow. episodes. A, I'm like, 
but he had a full-time job so yeah one day a week basically so he would record two weeks worth of episodes in a day how long was each episode I mean, gotta like be. 20 30 minutes yeah yeah wow but he had them scheduled all back to back so it was like 20 25 minutes and then you know he had five minutes in between next episode and he would this is while he had a full-time job while he had a full-time job um okay. and I, I just can't do that because to me what will happen is by the fourth or fifth one i don't have the same energy right so it's gonna be it's gonna come across right you're gonna listen i'm like yeah it was cool how did uh how did this deal go and then no, you're gonna I be know. like this dude sucks yeah. like, like I know. dude I wake did, up yeah so, i did three in a row once and there was the same thing by and then two were shooting in front of this window started getting like dark yeah. <laughs> it's like, so it's tough man so you got to understand yourself right you have to understand yourself how do you get energized here's the thing that's really cool about meetups hosting a meetup in particular when you are the host of a meetup people come to you right yes. people come to you when you attend a meetup the challenge when you attend a meetup is you now have to work a room. You're there. You're one of how many ever other people are there. And you got to figure out who you want to connect with. And particularly if you're there for a reason, like let's say you wanted to meet um, real estate agents or real estate brokers, you know. Okay, great. Now, how do you figure out who the real estate brokers are? Okay. So right, you're in this right. room and now you're like just walking around looking and it's a little, you know, so it's kind of a tough, unnatural thing, right? If you're an introverted person, if you don't really feel comfortable just walking up to people. So a different approach is to host a meetup because now everyone registers as the host, you got to say some words. So yes, that's the downside is you may have to talk, but if you can get over that, well, people are going to talk to you. And if you can tell people, hey, you know, here's who I'm looking to meet. Oh, great. You know, such and such is over here. But everybody wants to talk to the host. You don't walk into yeah. somebody's house and not go talk to the host for a second. So it's much easier for me to just talk and engage with people right. than it's for me to start those conversations. So for me, it helped tremendously. And people always give um, a little bit of credit to the person organizing. Because think about the initiative it takes to do that. And the same reason someone is looking at it and saying, oh, I don't want to host a meetup. It's the same reason you're going to get credit for doing it. Yeah. Because you're going to be the type of person who takes action. And people who take action tend to get results and more results than the people who don't take action. Even if you don't have that experience. Let's go back to what we talked about with credibility. You may not have experience, but if you've launched a, a meetup and you're now surrounding yourself with tens, dozens, you know, hundreds of other investors on a consistent basis, you're going to learn a thing or two. Yeah. If you're talking to hundreds of other investors or you've built this group and you've got hundreds of other investors that you're bringing guests in or you're, you're talking to people with, you're going to learn a thing or two. So that helps to build up that credibility. It's going to build a credibility who are there too. You know, like, oh, this is, this is Drew. This is Drew's event. Oh, okay. Right. Well, guess what, Drew? Kind of put you on a little bit of a pedestal because right. I'm here at your event. So if you tell me you're looking to do something and you're transparent and say, hey, yeah, this is the first deal we're looking to do, blah, 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 blah. Well, Drew, just from the fact that I can see that you took, you took the time to put together an event, I can tell you're serious about this, right? Because if you weren't serious, you would just call random people and say, hey, man, I'm doing this deal. You want to come in with me? But you took the time to build this event. You've educated yourself. You surrounded yourself with other people who are doing this. You are doing everything in your powers to make sure that you set yourself up for success and that's tend to that's going to play well with people who want to partner with you right because they know you too yeah and the, and the thing is especially coming out of COVID, we miss the human interaction there's only so much you can get out of zoom 
But if you're sitting across from somebody and I meet you in a room and we're talking about apartment investing or whatever, I'm going to feel way more comfortable investing with this guy who I know is real. I saw him. I know where his events are. I know where I could track him down if yeah, I need right. to, right? Yeah. But but that's going to feel more real than someone who I only know from, you know, the, the land of the the digital, right? right. So that that tends to play really well in the meetup space. And then what happens? So at the meetups, there's different speakers uh, to the whole group and then networking is how it... Well, I mean, I, I think everyone, you've got to figure out what you want to do for your meetup. What I like to do with my meetup, um, and I think anyone who is starting out, being, bringing in a speaker is a great way to do it. And the reason it's great is, again, you don't have to rely on your own expertise. You know, if you're saying, well, I've never done a deal, why would I come out here and host a meetup? Well, yeah, you're right. That's going to be bad if you go up there and you try to tell everybody how to invest in real estate and you've never done anything. But if you could find people who are experienced and you can bring those people to a stage that you create, then you can get great value. And what I found is, and this kind of goes back to the marketing space, when you create a platform and if that platform is there to serve, to truly serve people, you can thrive because people are less concerned with you if they're they're if they're getting what they want, yeah. right? Like no one's listening to this right now saying, well, why should I listen to Drew, right? You're gonna, you're giving them a promise of, here's what you're gonna get by checking out this episode, right? Or here's what you're gonna get if you attend this event. And if you can pay that off, that's going to work wonders for you. People won't care as long as you deliver what they're looking for. And a meetup's the same thing. If you are looking to grow a meetup, uh, maybe you want to teach people about, um, you know, um, um, seller financing, for instance. Go get someone who specializes in seller financing yeah. and have them talk about that. Or, you know, converting a you know self-direct IRA to invest in real estate. Go get someone from one of these self-direct IRA companies and have them talk about that, right? And if you're clear on what they're going to get when they attend the event, then they're going to feel like you gave them a lot of value. Because they're only going to attend if they feel like, they're going to get the value, right? If yeah. you say, hey, come learn about self-direct IRAs. If I don't want to go, I'm not going to go. Right. If I go, then clearly I want to learn about self-direct IRAs. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, now you need to tell me about self-direct IRAs and how does it work and here are my questions and can I do this and can I do that, right? So that's the logic, but you have to have kind of a, a stream of here's how this comes together. Because if if one day you're talking about, um, multifamily investing and the next day you're talking about stocks and the next time you're talking about crypto and the next time you're talking about life insurance. Well, that's fine if you're talking about overall like different investing strategies. But if this was a real estate group, right. I'm now like, wait a minute, what is this group about? Feel like real estate yeah, right. So it, it can be difficult to really grow and get traction if you don't have that focus. <clears throat> nice. So then you've met investors through that and then other people who you could learn from that we're just doing deals on their own yeah That's we've amazing. we've let a we've met a ton of people and part of it is also how do you create value for people because they they want to they want to get value too right like um part of it is people love to have a stage where they can they can promote themselves and talk about things the other part is just transactional sense that hey they can get real business out of this they can get potential clients and customers out of coming to your event and we've had that as well so it certainly helped us in our our program but these people have gotten solutions you know if you again yeah. you think about it from not the salesmanship or hey this self-direct ira person is going to be up there and they may be getting clients but like hey there's someone in that audience who is looking to get a self-direct ira yeah. 
and they've had questions and they can't get them answered. And what better way than to sit down at an event, talk to a guy directly, ask them all the specific questions that they've had, listen, figure out stuff that they didn't even know was possible, the questions they didn't even think to ask. And now they're gonna be more comfortable moving forward, right? Yeah. So it's it's about serving the audience. And if I can serve the audience, if they're looking to invest in apartment buildings and not be a landlord or a flipper, then great, I can serve them and they can get great value, but that may not be what everyone's looking for. And I think that's the thing you've gotta be willing to build. You know, Are you only willing to build something if it directly benefits you and, and that's it? Or are you gonna help people with whatever questions and challenges that they face and obviously, yes, you want to benefit from it yourself, but are you doing it out of a place of service or are you doing it out of just, you know, kind of a selfish gratification to say like, hey, if I don't get 10 investors out of this event, I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's the mentality you have to understand of what does success look like for you. Right. And then if people are actually benefiting are actually gaining from this event, they're that's going to do well. Whereas, that's right. Right. It's not about about you. Well, how do we find out about this meetup that you have? Let's, yeah, let's yeah. It. If you, it's the Chicago Multifamily Club. Uh, if you go on meetup.com, you can just you know search Chicago Multifamily Club and uh, all of our events are listed there. All right, nice. Great. Yeah, that's yeah, because I knew you were doing that and I've, I've never attended a meetup just, um, you know, not for any particular reason. I just, uh, you know, I figured that's how they work, but wanted to dive in. Anyone who's <laughs> interested or like me has heard about it, but never shown up, I should I should go to one. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not like the guy who goes to a bunch of different meetups. Um, sometimes I'll go out of curiosity or just again like the topic. But um, like I said, the thing that's cool for us, especially if you're an introverted person like me, is when you host it. One, you put yourself out there, you force yourself to go. But then two, you get to build connections with people, and you will get some regulars. You get people who you'll get to know really well, and that's where opportunities, you know, can can thrive. And ultimately, every business thing is all about networking. So. Who do you know? What relationships do you have? And are you giving yourself the ability to connect with like-minded people? And I think that's really important. You've got to give yourself a chance because it's easy to look at this and say, well, you know what? I don't know any rich people. I don't know any accredited investors. So I, I don't think this is for me. And if you just stop there, then yeah, you're right. right. But if you say, well, how can I meet some? How can I meet people who are interested in this? How can I add value to them? And if you can ask yourself that, then the opportunities start to open up a little bit more. And part of what we like to do with um, our investors and then also like um, uh, investors that we, we coach, we help them understand like, here is how it all works. You know, here's how you start to connect with people. Here's some of the nuances in there. But then also recognize that you're not the first person to face these challenges. So there's a process. Um, you wanna get clear on, again, who do you serve? How can you serve them? And if you approach it with that mindset, the opportunities become endless on how you can do that and how you tweak this or make adjustments here, or, you know, maybe we should add this for the people, right? Because now you can get fun and the people will tell you what they want if you really right. have an engaged audience. And again, this is even less about real estate, more just building community and how do you engage a community and learn from them and what are they looking for? And how do you be that person who helps them solve their needs? And by doing that, you obviously get a lot of value um, back on your business. Yeah, and I, I could see how that would work in particular particularly well for uh, if you want to find a passive investors for your opportunities where you're running the meetup. People come, they want to in, learn how to invest in real estate, and they start to realize this is a lot of work. And then you have this opportunity to do it where it isn't a lot of work, and you give it to someone who knows how they're doing it. And are it's interesting. I know I'm sure at certain times where you feel like 
were starting out where maybe you thought, okay, I'm still like a little inexperienced when you were first getting going, but compared to someone just showing up to the meetup or whatever, you, you have three deals you did and years of experience on them and you, you are experienced. Yeah. So that's, I was thinking that when you were talking about raising money, I was like, you've already done three deals. I mean, people need to understand what they're getting into, or this is an experienced person, but not if you need someone who's done a hundred deals, well, then that's not not it just how you were saying like it's it's also about them um when you get an answer and and think about this too because um that person who's done a hundred deals they may not have the patience for this person right because like well how much you're gonna invest oh you only got 25k i'm not gonna take my time and answer all your questions go with all this back and forth right like our deals are 100k minimum right or it's only for these kind of people so there's a two-way street to again who you serve and, and what are they looking for and to your point you may be way more relatable to them where they could really learn from you if you've done three deals versus a hundred deals because yeah. you remember what it's like getting from zero to three that person who's done a hundred <laughs> deals does not remember what it was like going from three to ten or whatever right so they they don't know they they stopped dealing with half of that stuff years ago yeah, um, so i think for that person it helps to be with someone who maybe is closer to where they're on their journey like like i said for me um my my friend who i watched go from three to nine units and then nine to 90 was very pivotal because she had the three and then she went to nine right when i went from zero to two and then i went from two to five and when she went to 90. so that's when i was like okay i feel like i'm kind of behind you on a couple of steps here but you just took a huge leap and that opened up the door because i felt like well she did you know, maybe I could do it. And then I literally was like, all right, well, what does she do? What do I meant to do? Like, now you start to look at what multiple people are doing. Right. And then I just start pulling from their strategies to say, okay, <clears throat> let me try this, let me try that, let me try this. Let me see what works, what combination works for me. Okay, I really don't like that part, or this seems great, how do I do more of that? Yeah. Now you start to adjust and you get something that really works for you. Yeah, and I really liked your, your part about building the confidence. Because one thing, and I never, I never really started thinking about this stuff till I started doing the podcast because yeah. it keeps it keeps coming up. But I never, I always was confident in my deals, and I I never really thought like why is that or why would someone not be confident? And it's it's because by the time I was actually buying a property, I'd looked at so many, just yeah. like what you said. Yeah. Where if you want to get your confidence up when you buy one deal, well, look at a hundred, and then if you're buying the best deal of the hundred, how could you not be confident? Yeah. So that's like that's such a great point. And then two something that keeps coming up when I we talk to successful people is something where someone like your your friend who went to 90 yeah. units and you looked at what she was doing and kind of her skill set and kind of a common denominator is the successful people just really think to themselves well she doesn't have anything like magical going on that yeah. I don't have like I could do it too yeah like that's a big thing and then you know she and then the mentor helped help get you to that point if you weren't already there so that's really interesting to to hear on your story that, that's a great observation because you're, you're right and that's exactly kind of what went through my head and, and that's why i say too you have to build that inner confidence and you have to look at the other successes you've had so when you do look at someone else it's not to try to um bring them down but it's just to elevate yourself up to say okay this person did it you know i have other things that i've been able to do that i think are harder than that or you know that i right. can do why don't I step it up? And I came from marketing where we used to do events all the time. And I'm like, this person runs a meetup. Like, then I'm we start talking like, hey, how hard is it to put together a meetup? Really easy. You literally go on meetup.com. You create an account. You create a group or an event. You just tell, you know, maybe you have to find a venue. It's probably the hardest thing. Find a venue. 
and then you just let people sign up yeah you know you tell people and you show up and be okay if it's only four people right that's the hard part the hard part is the beginning where you still are questioning everything you don't know if you should be doing this you don't know if it's going to be good you don't know if anybody's coming you don't know if anybody's listening to your podcast right yeah that's the hard part and then it's the confidence to just stick with it just stick with it and learn from it i'm not saying do the same thing and no one shows up keep doing it every week and not grow but adjust okay you know what hey how did you hear about it? Oh, this? Okay, maybe I should have got, maybe I should yes, did that do sooner. More there, All right, yeah. why did I, let me tell people two weeks in advance instead of the day before. Yeah. Let me do this. Let me, let me get on this website. Let me promote it this way, you know? So all these little things you start doing and then you start seeing success. I'll tell you, when I launched the meetup, it was very erratic. We were doing it way too frequently. Um, people didn't know what to expect when they showed up for it. Um, we literally had any kind of investor, any kind of real estate investor we would do. So we have a wholesaler, we get a syndicator, we get a flipper, we get, you know, somebody in mortgages. Yeah. People didn't know. So, I mean, there was no reason to show up every month. Um, There wasn't kind of a focus and there wasn't even a promise of what you were getting by being a part of this group, you know, what you got from attending these events. So we had to step back and, and really change it and that's when we change it to the chicago multifamily club we wanted to be really clear this is for multifamily investors and then the other big thing we did was we wanted to make sure we were clear on what the the takeaway was going to be for every event you know so we we didn't just have other investors every day or every week it was hey this month we're we're bringing in these brokers right so if you want to talk to you know someone from kale or someone from um you know, some of the other big brokerage firms, we might bring them in. And that way you had a chance to do that. And when we brought them in, we would ask the questions that I think investors really want to know. And part of what I try to do was be the voice of the audience um, and, and really think about where I was at, you know, and sometimes where I'm at, but sometimes also like, okay, when I was in that space three, four years ago, right? here are the questions I want to know. Like one question I would ask a broker is, hey, how do you build credibility as a new investor? You know, I, I talk to new investors all the time who can't get brokers to call them back or tell them, hey, send me proof of funds and then I'll send you the financials, right? So that's a question. We would sit those guys down and we would say, hey, how do, how do you handle this? What can they do so you don't give them this dog and pony show and make them jump through 52 hoops just to look at financials, right? So those are the kind of things we would do at our meetup. So people who were in that space, they got great value yeah. from coming to these events, right? If you got a chance to do that, let John be the bad guy and ask the question, yeah. right? Let him, let's force this guy to give you a real legit answer. Yeah. And then why are they doing that? And they would tell you stuff that like, I, would, I wouldn't even feel comfortable putting it out there in the content, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Because you're like, yeah, well we do that just cause we don't think, we think it's a tire kicker. So, yeah. you know, we just tell you to do that. And if you can do it, then okay, fine. We'll, we'll now try you, but most people can't. So we don't want to waste our time. So it's, it, it's the tough love that people sometimes don't really want to hear, but at least they now have an answer and they're not, you know, hitting a wall over and over without direction of what they need to change in their business. So, yeah. You should pay that question off. So how do you build credibility as a, <laughs> as, a as a brand new real estate investor? With so a I, I've asked that question to multiple brokers. Um, um, it, a lot of it comes back to what we've already talked about earlier, right? When we talked about building credibility. credibility. So uh, one of the things you can do is highlight the experience you do have. If you have partners, a mentor, team members, you want to highlight that. But also be clear and understand how brokers work and how they get paid. 
Brokers get paid when they close a deal. They don't get paid by answering all your questions. They don't get paid by sending you to OM or by sending you uh, the financials or by touring the property with you. Those things can all lead to a sell, but they make their money when they sell. And who pays them? The seller typically, right? On the commercial side, at least we're talking about the sellers. So be a credible buyer. Be clear on what you're looking for. What's your deal criteria? Um, if you like a deal, tell them you like the deal. What are next steps? When's a call for offers? Can I tour the property? Um, do you, you know, are you, can you give me the last two, three years of financials now, or do you want to do that after the LOI? You know, the letter of intent. Be clear. Be professional. Present yourself as credible. If you don't know the stuff I'm talking about, you don't know about LOI. You got to educate yourself, right? Yeah. You need to understand letter of intent. How does this work? Well, if you like the property, you're going to need to put in a letter of intent or basically an offer for what you want to buy the property for and the other terms in that agreement, right? So those are the things you have to do so that you can present yourself as a credible buyer. Make sure that you can help and actually close the deal. And if you are uncertain on some of those things today, figure that out now. If you don't know where you're going to get the money, okay, you need to go talk to some people so yeah. you can figure out, all right, if I, if I were to get this deal, here's how it's structured. Here's my partner. Here's you know what we're going to do, right? Um, so those are the kind of things you'd want to do so you could stand out as someone who is credible and believable that, okay, if, if we work with this person, they're going to be able to buy this property. They know what they're doing. They're going to be able to close. Yeah. And that's something where like if you talk to people all day as a broker, you can tell who knows what they're Absolutely. talking about, Absolutely. who's serious. You know, you ask them, would you buy it for this number? And then you get some seesaw answer about, oh, I need this and the, I don't need to figure out a lender next. Like you can tell where, you know, that you call and you're using all the correct terms for everything and, and a bot to just like it, you know, that's, that's the, that's the thing people run into. Yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, think about it. If you are, and it doesn't have to be a huge property, but if you can tell them, Hey, you know, I bought, I've got eight units, you know, I'm looking to move into commercial. I saw you've got this property here to love to learn a bit more about it. Right. You don't have to go super deep and jump right. in into all this terminology, <clears throat> but you need to establish that you're a reasonably credible person out of the gate, like within the first sentence, really. Right. Um, because they want, like you said, they want to know, am I going to be on the phone with this guy for 30 seconds or three minutes? Yeah. Is this my potential buyer or is this just some other, you know, dude looking to, you know, waste my time? And it's unfortunate, but you got to understand it is a seller's market. So these brokers, they have all the juice right now. Yeah. And if they don't think you're a serious buyer, they'll just have you go play down there somewhere. And if you change, I mean, they won't be, <laughs> usually they won't be disrespectful. But they'll give you some task and some hoops to jump through so they don't have to deal with you until it's time to deal with you. Yeah. Right. I'll go find me some proof of funds and, uh, you know, put together a bio, send me that, and then I'll give you this. Whatever. Go, yeah, go play in the sand. That's funny. Yeah. It all changes once you have a deal or two that you've closed. And that even, we just even went, go through that and we enter a new market where we've bought, you know, dozens and dozens of deals around the, the, let's say the country. And then you go to a brand new market and you're still a little bit unproven or, the brokers don't know, will you buy, uh, are you actually going to buy anything here? And then we just went through that in Phoenix and we bought four deals and now it went, the, the flow of uh, calls is the other way where now everybody's calling us or, you know, last, you know, year or so we're, we're calling, asking about, you know, questions. Now all of a sudden everybody's got, you know, deals for us after you, you buy four. That's exactly it, man. So. And that's the industry. And it goes back to being relationship business, right? And brokers are happy to work with you if they believe you will help their business, right? I mean, if you buy, if you're a buyer and you're buying properties, why wouldn't I call you? Right. If I can make one phone call and sell a property, 
why wouldn't I do that? As opposed to, I got to make, you know, 50 phone calls. I got to tour the property with 12 different groups. I got to get multiple call for offers and LOIs. I got to right. sit there. If I could call one group and get what the seller's looking for and we're good, why right. wouldn't I do that? Of course I would do that, right? So you have to establish yourself as someone who's who's credible in the space and who people want to work with, you're easy to do business with. All those things come to play. Yeah. Well, great. Well, yeah, let's close with talking about your podcast some. And yeah. I really like your story. So I'm glad you were able to come on where it's, to me, it's so relatable because it's not, you didn't start out where your family wasn't doing real estate or even, even for me, like I have a real estate degree, you know, so then that's not as relatable. <laughs> yeah. It's funny with the actual real life experience, as I was getting the degree, I was doing my own deals and I was kind of like learning in the real world, even before we got to it in school. So it was like kind of funny where you can learn so much on your own, but, um, like I really, really love hearing about the, the all the marketing stuff because especially some of these you're doing these big pitches to CMOs and hundred million dollar campaigns and yeah why can't you go talk to that person about investing in real estate that seems yeah. pretty easy compared yeah. to this this pitch you were doing yeah it's it's um like you said it's one of those things where you just have to put things in context sometimes right and you just need to be alone with your thoughts you need to hype yourself up however you need to do that and yeah you do have to reflect on your wins and I think it's really important to to do that as an individual. It's interesting because like, um, I used, you know, had a, um, like my resume and, um, and then a bio and someone was reading my bio and I was just like, that's me. You forget like the things oh, you've yeah. accomplished, right? Like, cause you don't walk around <clears throat> talking to yourself like that, right? It's weird. Um, uh, but it's like, yeah, you've accomplished things. So you need to understand people who don't know you they don't know these things and they need to make a split decision on whether or not this guy is worth listening to. And you do need to kind of let them know, like, yes, here's some successes I've had. I may know a thing or two about what I'm talking about. And if you want to hear more, great. So that gets into it. But the podcast is called Multifamily Insights. Um, I launched this show about four and a half years ago. And one of the main reasons I launched the show is because I sucked as a blogger. Um, no joke. I, I thought I was going to do a blog first. I'm like, I like writing. I'll do a blog. I had no clue what I was doing. I had no direction with the blog. I didn't know what to write about. I would sit there uninspired. Yeah. And I was like, dude, this has got to be one of the worst blogs of all time. Like I, I'm not That's growing. Funny. I'm not connecting with people. And, um, I went back to what my mentor was doing. I'm like, all right, well, maybe I should just do a podcast. And I, to me, if a podcast felt like a lot of work, you know, I'm like, oh, I got to get guests. I got to learn how to interview people. I got to ask questions. I got to edit the podcast. And then you realize, okay, just don't overwhelm yourself. There's a, there's steps and processes for everything you're thinking, right? There are ways to get guests where I don't have to sit there and call everybody I ever met. There are ways to edit the podcast where I literally don't have to edit it. You know, there are people who can do that for you. Um, there's, you know, folks who can help me with creative, there's someone else who can do show notes. So like, you just start to understand like, okay, maybe this is more doable. And the big thing for me with the podcast that was great was there was kind of an immediate need I had, which was trying to figure out how to invest in other markets. So when I launched the show it was called target market insights, and I launched that show to figure out how to find the best places, the best markets and sub markets to invest in. At the time I was in Chicago. I could not find a deal in Chicago where it was on the north side of Chicago where I can invest, bring on a partner, and there was enough profits for both of us. Um, the only deals like that that worked were like heavy renovation type yeah. deals. And I'm like, that's not my skill set. 
So I started looking other markets, particularly Cincinnati. But when I talked to people and they told me where to look in Cincinnati, none of them used data. None of them used, you know, really anything that I could solidify. Other investors like the West side, some like the East side. And I'm like, but why? And I get there's more cash on this side than this side. But I'm like, like in Chicago, I knew intuitively where um, the path of progress was, right? I didn't even know that term, yeah. that, but that's what I was. I knew because North Center, I figured out North Center because out of 77 distinct Chicago neighborhoods, North Center was the only one that didn't lose any value for their homes um, during the last recession. That was, I saw that stat and I was like, yeah. that's a neon sign. Yeah. We're just gonna invest here. I, I'm not looking at anything else. We're investing in North Center. Yeah. So that's what I did in 2012. I found a North Center because of that one stat. I said, if you could survive 2009, 2010 without losing any value, I'm not worried yeah. about anything that could happen to this market. You know, like, like we'll figure it out. But market wise, yeah, I, I still need to find the right property, but market wise, Geez, you survived yeah. that without a you know a scratch. You ever figure out why that is, or it was it's a quiet well it was a quiet just slept on neighborhood. It's positioned perfectly. Um, a lot of people who were in Lincoln Park leave Lincoln Park when they had family. The Bell School District is the number one rated, or at least at the time, number one rated school district in um, Chicago, and it's in yeah. Bell School's right there. So what happened is people have kids. You don't want to leave. You don't. You don't want to move to the suburbs. You want to stay in a city, but you got to find a good school, right? Yeah. So they would move to um, Bell, and then Coonley is right over there, which is a highly rated school as well. So people love to be in the Bell School District. So that was it. And for us, it was like, oh, eventually we'll have kids too. So that makes yeah. sense. It's great. Um, but it's tree line streets. It's like a suburb within the city, and just you know, it's easily accessible. It's just everything you could want. So we went there. Avondale was one where I really wanted Logan Square, but Logan Square, the numbers didn't work as a buyer. And then I looked at what other inv investors and renters were doing. Well, renters were doing the same thing, right? And here's another little cheat sheet, right? If you want a cheat tip, if you're trying to find a great place to invest, think like a renter. What, where, what area right. is getting too expensive for the renter and where are they moving now as an alternative? Right. And what was happening is they wanted to be in Logan Square, it was getting too expensive, so they were moving to Avondale. So I moved and bought in Avondale because same thing was happening with us. It was like, oh, now the prices are way too high. I can't get the returns, move to Avondale. We did the same thing at Hermosa. That time I had to go a little further out to say, all right, I gotta wait for, the market's gonna take a yeah, year yeah, or two yeah. before it comes over here, but let's make this move. So I was trying to figure that out. And that's when I launched that podcast, Target Market Insights, and tried to learn from uh, Cincinnati. The very first episode, um, I got Triff Christopheru from 3CRE, he details why he likes this part of the city. He slices it up. He tells me the Montgomery corridors where the growth is happening, blah, okay, blah, nice. blah. I bought a 28 unit building right along that corridor okay, that nice. um, they were getting ready to list for me. And um, based on his the yeah. interview, I mean, because it was like, that was what I needed. Like I'm talking to these people, no one's giving me data or quantitative information that supports it they're just giving me oh yeah i like the west side and i'm like i don't know this area that well so i need something definitive like it was when i lived in the city it's i i because i i know 80 percent of it myself i just need to justify it with some right. other people right but when you don't live in that city i don't want to be guessing right i want to see the data the facts that tell me this is a great place to invest so i was able to get that so we we started the podcast there 
And that allowed me to really tighten up our process of finding the right neighborhoods, the right cities to invest. And you talked about investing in Arizona. You didn't just wake up and pick Arizona, right? You probably looked at some data, realized where people are moving to, where the jobs are going and said, you know what? I think we should be looking to invest in Arizona. And a lot of people don't think about investing that way. A lot of people assume you need to invest in your backyard, but you can invest wherever it makes sense to invest and live where you want. And that's the beauty of you know investing, particularly in larger right. deals, because if you're buying a house, well, there are a lot of things that can happen with one house, right? Someone moves out, you gotta have somebody come move in and do all this other stuff. But if you got a 200 unit building, one, it's professionally organized, professionally managed. There's somebody on site. There's a team that's overseeing everything. Yes, you need to check in as an asset manager, but that thing is a business, right? It's It's got its own operations that are taking place and you just really need to oversee that business. Very different from you know a house 500 miles away right. where you really don't know what condition the property is in and you know you might need to check in on a resident or you know see what work needs to be done so investing in those larger properties is really key but in order to do that you got to understand which markets you want to be in and the data really allows you to figure that out so i mean that's when we launched the podcast just so i could really selfishly so i could get yeah good at that and then it kind of flipped into okay hey we can actually use this to grow our connections with other people as well so we started focusing more on that yeah, no, it's a great podcast. And then how, um, where, where can we find it? Yeah, more? Multifamily Insights is anywhere you listen to podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, I believe it's still on Stitcher and those other platforms too, but just check it out uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Great. And then now how would how would people get in touch with you? I mean, if they want to invest in deals, mentorship, whatever. Yeah, if you want to learn more about working with us, uh, I would advise people to check out our sample deal. Uh, we have a sample deal package on our website whether you're an active investor and want to figure out how to put deals together, deal structure, stuff like that, you can check it out. Or if you're a passive investor and some of the terms that we threw out are new to you or a little confusing, it at least helps you wrap your head around how this works conceptually. So you can get that at kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. All right, great. Uh, uh, anything else you want to plug here or what should we... No, listen, I just, I appreciate the time, Drew. I, I think the biggest thing is you just got to take action. And action could be as simple as an email or leaving your review but just something that allows you to move forward and you have to give yourself credit for what you are doing because again i think that um it's easy to look at either you did a deal or you didn't do a deal right or here's the deals you've done or here's your aum your assets under management um but i also think there's that education process and it's better to spend a lot of time getting yourself ready for the opportunity um, and then taking action, then just taking action or listening and doing all this stuff, but never taking action, right? So taking action is okay, but at some point, or I'm sorry, listening to this podcast and educating yourself, it's completely fine. You're putting in work, you know, don't, don't feel like you're not doing anything. You're putting in work by doing this, but you do need to get to the next stage of that. And that may be looking at deals, talking to brokers, uh, signing up with a group like ours, whatever that next step is for you, you've got to figure out what that is and take it. Because if you're not going to take action and ultimately pull the trigger, then you're not going to change the dynamics of your financial future. So if this is for you, if you're learning about it, or you want to challenge that notion more, pick up the phone, ask some questions, get on a call, like do what you need to do so you can get yourself ready to take that step forward. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, yeah, appreciate it, John. Thanks for being on. Absolutely, Drew. Thank you. Great. 
Well, thanks for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us on the Rise and Invest podcast. Please be sure to hit that subscribe button on YouTube or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. If you'd like to dive even deeper into real estate investing, check out our company's website, riseinvest.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook, our trends report, and our blog are all available on our website. If you are an accredited investor, you can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website, The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Rise Invest Holdings LLC and its subsidiaries. The views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities and the speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.